Hey, Aloha fans. This is number 84, our 84th show, and it is our super wild card special. Hey, did you see, Mike, that the NFL does not want you referring to this as wild card weekend anymore? You have to now refer to it as super wild card weekend. I think it's the second year in a row of super wild card weekend. I mean, it's it's great. It's super regardless, but uh, nice to see you, Jeff. Uh, we finally made it. The playoffs start tomorrow. Excited? I'm excited, man. I, we got great playoffs games. I think there's some matchups that are like historic. When you, when you start talking about San Francisco and Dallas, I mean, there's no, there's nothing in playoff history more, you know, embedded in our psyche than that. And it was really interesting. I saw my buddy Jesse Sapola, who's going to be on the show today, just tweeted out less than an hour ago about how important this is to the to Niner Nation, and it was a little thing where he and Charles Haley were ex were exchanging hot sauce after a play, uh, after Haley sacked the, sacked the quarterback and threw uh, Steve Young on the ground. So it's going to be a blast, and we are going to have it live. And everybody, we got to get you in and get your questions, get your takes, get your your uh, rants, whatever. Uh, we already got my man Fred in. He says aloha, and it is Aloha Friday, Fred. A happy Aloha Friday on Super Bowl, Super Wild Card Weekend. How was you? How Let's was your week this week, man? On Sunday. How was your week? Week was busy, man? just just prepping, just prepping for this show, prepping for the weekend. It's uh, it's going to be an exciting weekend. I'm I'm really excited for some of these games this weekend, and um, a busy week, but but worth it in the end when we can put our feet up and uh, watch this. Well, some. And and he is in games this weekend, but uh, looking forward to it. I've been I've been watching tape as part of my preparation too, and then um, some telestration stuff we're gonna do prior to the shows. And I mean, I I've seen some amazing football. I mean, some guys doing some incredible things. You know, Philadelphia run game, and I think they've got a chance to run the ball. Everybody talk about Vita Vea's back, and you know, Vita Vea is a nose tackle. He's gonna affect the game some, but when you look at Philadelphia's run game. Michael, they're primarily a C-gap and perimeter run game, right? They don't run the ball up inside a great deal. And, you know, whether JPP's back and, you know, I, I, Shaq, is Shaq going to be back? We really don't know until game time. It's supposed to be rainy and nasty in Philadelphia. All of those things point to Philadelphia having a chance in that game. And that might be, along with Pittsburgh, the two games where you say, well, this is where you, you know, it's just – too much for the Steelers to overcome, but you know, never bet again against the Hall of Fame quarterback in a one-off game. Big Ben on his well could be his last rodeo. Let's see what happens. Uh, Fred Flunk there said on the comments uh, he thinks that the Steelers may shock the world. I think there's a shock coming from somebody this weekend, Jeff. I've put a tweet out there now. It's on your profile. If anybody wants to reply to it, get your questions in. We will read them out after the first guest. Do you want to introduce the first guest? He's uh, yeah, I, Nicholas. Fans, here's what we did today. We I, we went out and got four of our friends that are NFL guys, all have NFL pedigrees, um, and really wanted to just get them to weigh in on their careers a little bit, but more uh, just what they saw going into these games, uh, you know, what their rooting interest is, how they feel about the playoffs. Just I think you're going to see – you really got some really cool takes from a lot of really good guys. Guys who played a lot of football, won a lot of football games. The first one was an 11-year NFL veteran. He played uh, for the Bills. He played for the Jets. 
He is the bulk of his career was next to John Lynch in the secondary with the Denver Broncos. And then he finished his career with Kubiak down in Houston. Nick Ferguson is going to join us. And this is our interview with Nick talking about the Denver Broncos. and welcome to the 84th edition of Coffee with the Coach. We're going to get right after it today because we've got a bunch of guests to talk about what's going on in the National Football League. And the first stop on our destination is Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City, where we're going to talk to Nick Ferguson, longtime Broncos safety and now the voice of the Broncos on the fan in Denver. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Hey, listen, I know this is this is crazy times right now in Denver. The club's up for sale. Uh, just cleaned house in the coaching staff. Fangio out. Uh, a lot of a lot of things happening with your Broncos. Give me the give me the feel for what's going on in the community right now and, and the general consensus as you talk to Bronco fans. It is a sure jubilation right now. Everyone is really excited because, listen, I mean, you've been you coached in the league before, and you never wish for anyone to be fired, but it's been a three years of just, just bad football. So everyone's excited that now we get a fresh start, a breath of fresh air. Who's going to come in and be our owner? But first order of business is who's going to be our next head coach. That's going to determine everything moving forward as far as who's our OC, who we're going to target in free agency as our quarterback or in the draft. So it's a very exciting time. I know, you know, it's frustrating because we're not going to be in the playoffs, but it's still exciting to see, okay, well, what is lurks or upon the horizon. So it's very exciting here in Denver. Well, give us some idea of what's going on with the ownership situation, because as I understand it, and I'm not an authority at all, and you're much closer to it than I am, that the team is in trust right now and that they're actively soliciting buyers for the team. Do you know what's going on any more than that? Well, the first order of business was making sure the last owner and his kids didn't have the first right of refusal to stop the sale of the team. So now that court order went, uh, went through uh, earlier this week where it says though they have no kind of decision-making process uh, and what's going on with, with the head coaching or the ownership situation. And they were thinking that maybe they can jump back into the mix and purchase the team themselves. So that's out the window. So right now it is in the hands of the trust to go out and find, you know, who's going to be the next owner of the organization. And all seven of uh, Mr. Bowling's kids, they could not come to an agreement. So that's why the team is, uh, is going to be sold. And right now, from what they're being, what they're saying is there's six groups that are vying for ownership. Two of those groups have Hall of Fame quarterbacks and connections to Denver on the group. One being John Elway, the other being Peyton Manning. So we talked about it on our show, the Nick and Cecil show, uh, 104.3 The Fan here in Denver. And we opened the phone lines and asked the fans if you had to choose between John Elway and Peyton Manning, 
which guy would you want to be a part of the leadership group moving forward? Believe it or not, I know you're a boxing guy, so the CompuBox stats had Peyton Manning leading in that 12th round by a landslide. So uh, that's how Broncos country feel about what John Elway did as a GM, not John Elway, the Hall of Fame quarterback. So if it was a fight, it'd be stopped yes. on a TKO in the 12th. Yes, yes. Stop, stop the fight. Throw the towel. Throw the dog <laughs> towel. Yes, exactly. That's how Broncos country feels right now because here's the reason they feel this way. I mean, Peyton Manning is a fresh face. He's won Super Bowls just like John Elway, but he is a person that he's out there in the media. He is someone you can touch, someone you can see, but also he's a football mind that they believe that because of how he attacked the game as a player, he would do the same thing as as an owner. And when you talk about, you know, John Elway in certain circles, they just felt that John Elway didn't really do the job that was necessary to be a GM. He was an on-again, off-again guy. And they just felt as though Payne would be more hands-on. Now, you know the power of the media as well as anybody, because not yes, only did you play in the NFL for a long time, but, you know, you've been in the media and you've been on the coaching side of it. How much do you think the fans believe that Peyton can get it done in Denver is based upon his play as a Bronco or what he did on Monday Night Football, which I thought was genius with his Peyton's place and, and having Eli and the whole thing? Where do you think, where do you think the average fan sits on all that? It's a combination of both. I mean, just knowing how cerebral Peyton was as a player, that helps out. And then you look at the Manning cast on uh, ESPN, they just see how he breaks things down in his thought process. So you say, okay, well, that would translate to being on the business side of it. But here's a problem because there's pros and cons to everything. Now, if Peyton is part of an ownership group, can he actually sit back and allow someone else to dictate the pace with the organization without often trying to dip his toe in and tell them, hey, do this and do that. When you take over as ownership, that's where you are on the ownership side. You put people in place and you allow them to do their job. But I would love to see what it looks like with Peyton Manning in charge, but he can't really intervene with personnel issues that will cause problems for the GM and the head coach. Now, Nick is a football guy. I got to wonder about an owner who's going to pay billions of dollars for this franchise. And, and it's worth every penny of that. But yet, they're going to walk in the door and they're already going to have George Patton as a GM and maybe a head coach by the time this thing gets sold. Do you think they're going at this a little bit, you know, putting the cart before the horse? No, they're not because that process to become an owner I mean, that, that's kind of an arduous process. I mean, the team has to approve you in a certain way, but then the final decision, almost like uh, American Idol, uh, the, the other 31 owners, they have to decide. They have to welcome you into the group. They have to look at your resume. They have to look at your financials. They have to look at your background and say, well, do you fit our group? Because you're trying to come into our group. We don't need you. You need us. So to me, they're going about it the right way. And just think about it. I mean, that process is going to take an, uh, another month or two, but the Broncos don't have that time to wait to put your head coach in order. I mean, you've been a head coach before. I mean, you got to get your staff, and then you have to decide, okay, well, which guys are staying, which guys are leaving, what scheme do I want to run? 
what guys fit my scheme. I got to do my draft pick. And then you come and go to March. Now we're talking about free agency. So you need your coaching staff in place. And whoever is the owner, they have to understand and trust George Payton to know that he's going to do the right thing. You are inheriting this team. And because you now that you're now the owner and you plan to own this team for the next 20, 30 years, if it doesn't work out with the next guy, you fire him and you get someone else. So well, I guess if you're paying a couple billion, what's another million or so to get rid, get rid of a coach? Exactly. Think about it. To, to, for billionaires, a million dollars, is, it's just like quarters to them, right? So they don't care. They'll make that up in another one of their uh, business and shell companies, so they'll be okay. Hey, dude, you run in the wrong company. I don't run with millionaires, dog. That you, You're the one that runs with millionaires. <laughs> hey, <laughs> let, let's, let's talk a little ball, right? And, okay. And I, I'm, I really want to get your takes on this because you were really close to the team. You were at practice most days. You were at training camp every day. You watched every game. I'm looking at this football team on paper, Nick, and I'm just, we'll start with the offense, right? Okay. The offensive line finally showed signs of life, right? And, you know, even, even the last weekend, and Muti's playing left guard, and he's hanging in there, and he's a backup. He, you know, he had to play for Reisner when Reisner went out. You know, Bowles only had one holding call, which is a revelation. And you look at Fant, and I like him as a tight end. You got Cortland Sutton outside. K.J. Hamler's hurt, but again, I think he's got some dynamic qualities. Judy, if, if the quarterback gets, gets the ball to Judy in the first quarter, it might be a completely different game. You got two really good running backs. Denver ran the ball extremely well. They had 1,600 yards of rushing out of those two backs. And then defensively, you know, how Simmons didn't make the Pro Bowl is absolutely beyond me. But, you, you know, they got Darby. They got Sertain. They got good players on that football team. How in the heck could they not be better than seven and nine? It's, it falls back on, on leadership. When you take over as a head coach, it is more than just the X's and O's. I mean, you have to be a father figure. You have to be uh, someone that they can lean on from an emotional standpoint. And you have to have personality. I mean, places that you've been, you've had a lot of players, and I, and I was one of them. It is that personality and that connection with your players. Because when you have that, your players are going to play for you both injured and hurt. When they feel as though you really don't care about them, then you get into a tight situation, they're not going to play for you. And we've seen case, uh, a case where Shelby Harris last year got into an argument with Vic Fangio on the sideline. Obviously, they kind of cleared that out, but you don't want that to be a constant issue. And a lot of things I hear from the players on both sides of the ball that, you know, the teaching part wasn't really there. And you, you would definitely understand this as a coach. If we're playing defense, and there's a play clock. I need to get the defense in so we can set up. There were moments where the call was coming in so late, the guys were calling their own plays on the field. And that's very difficult. That, that's putting both the offense and the defense in a tough spot. And when it comes to being a head coach, you have to show that you can empower your coaches, but also you can delegate responsibility. When you see Tom McMahon, the special teams coach, is not performing or the guys are not playing for him on the field, you need to make a change or you need to go to him and tell him from a personnel standpoint, make the change. When you look at Pat Shermer, you mentioned Jerry Judy. Why in the hell 
is Jerry Judy running these ghost type motions behind the line of scrimmage when we need him to go vertical in a vertical passing game. That's why he was drafted. So he's been underutilized in the offense. You mentioned a guy by the name of Noah Fant. Noah Fant is a great tight end when you open him up in space, right? You put his hand in the dirt. I'm not going to say he's not that dynamic. And his biggest problem was he can't freaking block, period, point blank. So if I'm Pat Shermer, I never put my player in that position, understanding his weaknesses, open him up, flex him out. So now here's what you get. You get the linebacker stepping outside the box. And if you want to run the ball, you have a more favorable box. I never called plays in the NFL before, but as a defensive guy, I know that, right? Maybe I should be the offensive coordinator for, for the Broncos, but these are some of the issues that were taking place within the Broncos organization, and this is why they were, you know, seven and nine. You know, I, I follow your stuff, and you do great stuff on the fan, and great, great stuff everywhere that, that you've worked. And one of the things I knew from as close as you and I are that you were extremely frustrated with the quarter, not only quarterback situation, just the offensive situation in general, because there was so much vanilla about that offense, so little imagination. And, and you mentioned Fant in a way that maybe the fans could relate it to. Travis Kelsey is not an inline blocker. He's not a guy that plays well next to the tackle with his hand in the ground. He'll do it to get in the way, but that's not his strength. So what does Andy Reid do? He flexes him out. He motions him around. I, and again, those are the things that frustrate football guys when they look at a team and say, they're talented enough. Why are they not? I mean, they're a they're better football team than the Raiders are. On Absolutely. Paper. And the Raiders are in the playoffs. They're in the same division. And the Broncos are going through another year of restarting a program. Well, here's the thing that I said. I said, well, uh, this was one of the reasons I said that Vic Fangio should be fired as he tried to lay claim as to why he should keep his job based on his defensive performance. I said, well, Rich Passaccia took over for the Raiders during a situation where there was controversy with John Root. He was able, as a special teams coach, no disrespect to him, but he was able to keep that momentum going and now they're in the playoffs. And I'm like, well, Vic Fangio had over 40 years of experience in this league as a defensive coordinator, been the head coach for three seasons. But Rich Passaccia now has the Raiders in the playoffs. Now, you explain that one to me. How does that make sense? And with, with that being said, then Vic Fangio should not keep his job. But once again, this is a team that has a lot of talent. George Payton has a lot of money and cap space to go out and acquire some top free agents. And he had to draft picks if he wanted to, to say, you know what? Let me go after Aaron Rodgers. That, that doesn't work. Let me go after Russell Wilson. I even tossed out as maybe another option. Well, Jimmy G is probably playing his last games for the 49ers. Why don't you kick the tires on that? I mean, there's a relationship there with John Lynch, my former teammate in the Broncos organization. So Leave no stone unturned, but we need to go out and we need to get a better guy to help us uh, at the quarterback position. Bro, you, you, you think so much like me. I, you, seg you segue me right into my next, next topic. <laughs> we, ju we just went through Black Monday. Yeah. There's a lot of guys on the street, right? Now, if I came to you as the owner and you were my general manager yeah. and said, 
let's I, I'm gonna give you three guys. We're gonna bring them to Denver and interview them. Give me your three top candidates for the Denver Broncos coaching job. Now this this is the head coaching job, correct? Yes, the head coaching job. Okay, so I would say Dan Quinn would be one. Uh, Aaron Glenn, my former teammate, uh, he would be one as well. And the another guy I would do just for the you know the heck of it, why not bring in Nathaniel Hackett, right? Because we, we, which, with each one of those guys allows you to cover a certain amount of bases. Let's start start with Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn has a relationship with Darrell Bevel. Darrell Bevel was out of work in Jacksonville. Where was his last employer employment? It was with the Seattle Seahawks. By the way, it was the same time that Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator in the best years that Russell Wilson had as a quarterback. So if you wanted to go Dan Quinn as your head coach, and you bring in maybe Darrell Bevel as your OC, I like that too as well. So now let's talk about Aaron Glenn. Aaron Glenn is coming off a team that didn't really do that well in Detroit, but it wasn't due to effort right and being competitive they just didn't have the players and they were beat up let's be totally honest right but he brings a lot of accountability and a lot of enthusiasm along with his his coaching know-how anyone that comes from a bill parcells coaching tree you know that they are definitely about their business so if the broncos decided to hey we want ag to be our head coach maybe Darrell bevel to be our offensive coordinator and try this on for size a guy who's out of work who spent time with George Payton in Minnesota and Mike Zimmer. That make a great combination, head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. All right. Love playing the speculation game with you. Hey, hey, that's that's where we live. <laughs> but let's talk about one that happened that has surprised an awful lot of people. A guy that has put together back-to-back -back winning seasons at a place that hasn't had that in a long time. Missed the playoffs, but you could go through any one of the coaches that's sitting on, you know, with his bust in the Hall of Fame, and nobody has started one and seven and won seven straight after start after losing seven straight. So, were you surprised when you saw that Flores got fired in Miami? Yeah, I was uh, surprised, just like everyone else. Like, how does that, you know, really happen? And there's a lot of internal things that go on in the organization and sometimes you may rub a guy or a couple of coaches the wrong way because you are so maybe invested as a coach because you're trying to win football games right and maybe someone else's work ethic isn't like yours and when you push them a little now they may get in their feelings and become sensitive and the idea was that there was some internal uh, turmoil between maybe the gm greer and that of Brian Flores. And I can tell you, I mean, I've been to been in places before and that happens. The idea is you want both people to be on the same page, but I'm thinking, okay, well, if we're winning, then we just, we need to be able to figure this out. Now, if you're doing that and we're losing, now someone needs to be fired, right? But if we're winning football games and we're, we're having a back-to-back -back winning season, something that the Dolphins haven't done since 2003, to me, you try to figure out how to work that out. And whoever they hire as the next head coach, that's going to be a lot of pressure for that next guy. Because now Brian Flores on a, on a way out, 5-11 and 11 the first season, 10-6, and six, and then it was 9-8 and eight this year. So you have to come out and make sure that team is a playoff team. And also Flores beat the Patriots twice to start the season 
to end the season. So whoever comes in next, a lot of pressure on them. But I don't know what Stephen Ross was was thinking. Maybe he knows something that I don't. But on the outside looking in, it just didn't seem like it was the right decision. Well, listen, man. As always, it's a pleasure to have you have you on the show. We're gonna we're gonna knock on your door a bunch as we lead up to the Super Bowl. I'll see you in Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. And again, always, always great to hear your takes because you are right with it, right? And I know you don't sugarcoat nothing. Never have. Even when <laughs> even when you walked into my office and told me I was wrong one time. <laughs> well, hey, hey, listen, man. Hey, at least you allow me to be able to do that. There are people now that I come and I'd say, look, maybe we need to change this or that. And they get really timid and they don't like that because they're not used to that type of atmosphere. But this is why, you know, being a player and a coach in the NFL has kind of prepared me like this. So thanks for always just uh, being there and not taking things too seriously. Yeah, you, you got it, my brother. Take care. Nick Ferguson, one of the all-time greats, one of the best I ever coached, and one of the best that ever played safety for the Denver Broncos. That guy is something. Now. I'm going to tell you that. He is never shy for opinions. And he's, he, I'm telling you, he's like 7-Eleven stores in the United States. He's always open for business and always <laughs> to talk. I really like that metaphor, Jeff. Uh, 1,300 people have watched this in the last 27 minutes. Jeff, you're, you're a big celebrity over here now, man. I, I have to say, there's, there's a lot of people watching this, including uh, Hello to Richard Graves, Nick Ferguson watching, a lot of people watching in the UK, Ireland. And fervor field and loads of questions but here nick ferguson you can check him out on the nick and cecil lamy show uh nick ferguson cecil lamy show 104.3 the fan in denver had to shout him out that was a great shot jeff yeah you know what nick like i said and he and i go back a long long way um the, the incident i told was talking about where i he walked into my office and told me i was wrong is i cut him one time and it was a it wasn't because he couldn't play it was over money right and I couldn't fit him under the cap. And so I told him I had to let him go. And he looked me right in the eye, Michael, and he goes, you're making a big, I won't say the word he used, but he goes, <laughs> you're making a big mistake. And I said, well, maybe I am, Nick, but you got to go. And he <laughs> said, I am not leaving. And I said, no, you don't get it, dude. You got to go. And lo and behold, we went and played our first game. And he was, we had cut him and he stayed in town and we, and uh, we cut him and the, the guy who replaced him pulled a hamstring in the game and couldn't finish the game. So we came back from the road trip and he said, <laughs> the next day he walks into my office with that look on his face, right? Cause he knew we were going to sign him back. Right. And he goes, see, I told you, you were being, you made a big mistake. So that's he and I have a long, long, long history. So it's really he's one of the really smart guys and really was a heck of a football player for a guy. A great story. Never started in his on his high school football team. And then he walked on at a small college, then walked on again at Georgia Tech and then got cut. I don't know. I think he got cut five times before he eventually made it and played 11 years in the National Football League.
that's that's an unbelievable path to to the NFL. Uh, shout out to Sean Club who are watching. We, we've got a Titan coming up in three or four minutes, but there's a few questions first off. Danny Pardo, I think, is in the UK. Uh, he is saying with the Niners and Cowboys both having strong young teams, do you think this could be the rebirth of sorts of the rivalry? Because it's such a rivalry, Jeff, but they haven't played each other that much in the past. I, you know what? I'm telling you, I know everybody says, well, these these players weren't even born when all that, all that stuff went on. I'm telling you, you're in those cities. You know about this rivalry, right? You, you The alumni groups of both those organizations, right? It's funny, in pro football, it didn't used to be that, you know, alumni players really paid much attention. Once your career was over, your career was over, and you, went, you, you really had more of an idea identification with your college program it's changed now these guys are really invested in these organizations particularly if you played one for one team the whole your whole career you know we talked about nicks how much he's really invested in that broncos organization jesse sapolo's the same way about the san francisco 49ers he still goes to every game he's still a, a spokesman for the 49ers and let me tell you something my man's heart is beating already for this game this weekend against the Cowboys because it's the Cowboys, not just because it's the playoffs, it's the Cowboys. Obviously, that's a game that you're going to be covering on Sky on Sunday night. Very excited to watch your analysis and also excited, Jeff. I, I meant to say this at the start, excited to see you stand up for 14 hours straight. I, I'm joking. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, Paul Hope, who is a Niners fan, he's in the UK, says, which playoff game are you looking forward to the most this weekend? And what well, he said, and why is it the 49ers? But you know, you've you've talked about the 49ers there. Obviously, I'm presuming that, that that might be the one, but is there any other game as well that you're really pumped for? Well, obviously, you know, the, the Raider game, because first of all, you know, uh, I, I'm not shy about saying I'm a Raider fan. And you know, to see them and Derek Carr get another chance. I mean, he, he, he the last time they went to the playoffs, he was hurt and couldn't play. Now he's gonna get a chance to put his stamp on the game. And you know, right or wrong. And I think we talked about this um, with Jesse, but right or wrong, as a quarterback particularly, you're judged by what you do in playoff football. And so for Derek Carr, if he plays well and he can get the Raiders a couple rounds into this, because I don't think they're good enough to win, the, you know, win their conference, but I think they're good enough to get into this, you know, second round. If he can do that, that really solidifies his legacy as a player right and as a raider and the same thing's true you know ryan Tannehill's got the same issue in in with the titans he needs he's been to the afc championship he needs to win a super bowl right he to to be that guy to be at the steve mcnair status he needs to get a team to the super bowl and that's why the playoffs for the players it's not about the money it's about the championship and it's about what that does for you, the validation that you as a player and a coach. Well, obviously King Henry coming back as well. We'll talk about that. And we'll, and we'll, we will talk a few more questions in a wee bit. We've actually got a chance now to stay in the Titans because your next guest is a former Titan, Jeff. Do you want to introduce him? Yeah, this guy, uh, I is a special guy to me. I have known him since he was a high school kid. I recruited him out of high school. He couldn't get into school. Uh, went to junior college, Blinn Junior College. I recruited him again. He brought him to the University of Hawaii. He was an All-American. He was drafted in the third round. He was the 94th player picked in the draft. Uh, ran a 
ran a 4-4-40 at the combine with a pulled hamstring. I mean, it was amazing. And one of the really most talented players I've ever been around. He played five years in the NFL till he hurt his injuries, took him out of the game. Uh, he's a great guy, a really, really smart dude. Uh, he's from Houston, Texas, and his name is Ryan Mouton. Enjoy, folks. See you soon. Now, when I told you I was going to bring my boys from the National Football League in, this is one of my boys that goes way, way, way back. I'm talking about way back to when he was just a young whippersnapper in high school at Katy, Texas. And uh, I followed his progress to uh, Blinn Junior College and then was lucky enough to kind of sweet talk him or coerce him or whatever recruiting is to come to the islands and was a great player at the University of Hawaii for us. He was drafted the 94th player picked in the NFL draft by the Tennessee Titans. This is defensive back Ryan Mouton. Welcome to the show, Moo. Hey, for Coach, man, appreciate you for having me, man. Always good to see you. It's wonderful to see you. See, this is, a, this is one of the reasons why I do this, so I can reach out and touch my folks, you know, that I don't get <laughs> to see all the time. How's things in Houston? Man, pretty good, uh, except the weather, you know, is up and down. One day it's cold, the next day it's hot. You know, of course, it's like it's bipolar out here, man. Is that why you grew that beard, man, so you could just yeah. stay warm? It yeah, you know, I thought it was going to be cold for a little bit. I grow my beard out, you know what I mean? I think it's supposed to be, you know, our winter months, but you know how that goes. No winter here. Well, I, I saw that beard, and I thought, maybe, well, it's either cold or you joined a religious sect or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, let's talk a little ball, right? Now, you played five years in the National Football League, had a lot of success. You're deeply embedded in that Titan family. I know you, you're involved in the Titans Alumni Association. As a matter of fact, there's a rumor, a rumor anyway, that uh, you were tailgating outside <laughs> of the stadium with a bunch of Titan fans before the Houston game. No doubt, man. Uh, so earlier in the year, I had been going to a couple of games or whatnot, and I decided, I was like, hey, you know what, it'd be cool to, you know, do a tailgate with a bunch of the fans. Um, just, you know, I, I love interacting with them. Uh, they're, I mean, they showed up deep. I mean, they were deep, man. And so I just thought I'd go out there, you know, put some on the pit, have a couple of drinks with them before the game, and we go in and watch our boys, man. Hey, are you good around the barbecue? Hey, look, I, I'm, I'm not as good, but, you know, I got someone for that, so. Long as he shows up, then he's part of me. <laughs> All right. Now, explain to because man, we get this. This show's international, man. We got people from Hawaii to Istanbul, Turkey, to watch this thing, and a lot of fans are not of the generation that understand the rivalry that exists between the Texans and the Titans. Can you kind of get into that? I can. So, uh, of course, me growing up in Houston, um, I kind of got, uh, you know, you, I have an understanding of it. Of course, uh, Bud Adams was once the owner of the Houston Oilers. Um, of course, he wanted a new stadium. The city wasn't really, you know, willing to give him a new stadium. They tried to do a couple upgrades to the uh, 
Astrodome, which he still wasn't feeling. So he decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to take my team and go somewhere else. Uh, they moved out to Memphis for a second for, I think, maybe I think it was a, a year or two, and then moving to Nashville. So then after they moved to Nashville, of course, you know, they become Tennessee Titans or whatnot, and the Houston team gets another team. So, of course, you know, this is deeply embedded. And so it, it being a divisional game, I'm, I mean, it's one of, the, one of those weeks every time that we play each other, it's just a hate week, man. And, you know, you don't like them, they don't like us, and we understand what it's going to be. You know, that's, and I was telling somebody this the other day, normally in pro football, because there's so, I mean, it's such a small population. Right. Guys know each other. Do you travel from team to team? Coaches coach all around the league. So there's highly, I mean, you're talking about alpha males, the most competitive dudes in the world, right? But there's not that like animosity normally between guys. Guys will, guys will like, go to blows on the field and then they'll be hugging each other afterwards. Right. Right. For sure. But this, this is a little bit different now. It, 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 yeah. This is, this is different. I mean, because you have to think about it. I was there in what, 2010, 2011. And I saw, I mean, I mean, firsthand close up with Courtland Finnegan and Andre Johnson, you know, that goes to blows on the field. And I mean, it leads over to not only the field. It was when I would come, I came home on a bye week. And of course, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, cool with Andre, you know, his brothers and all those guys. And I'm here and they're like, hey, man, what's up? And I'm like, what's up? You know, they're like, hey, let your boy know, you know what I mean? Like, we still, you know, we still got a problem with it. <laughs> no, you're, 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 kicking with, you're kicking it with Andre and he ain't letting it go. No, I mean, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's a very quiet guy. He really didn't say anything, but of course, you know what I mean? Like, he's, I mean, you know how it is. You got family members or, or just friends, you know, they might your not, posse. you know, they, your yeah, posse you know they, they, they still feel some type of way about it. So, <laughs> hey, how does it feel as a Titans fan and a Titans alum to know you're going into the playoffs? You finally got a pass. That Simmons is a nasty man as yes. a pass rusher. You finally got, you finally got yourself a, a pass rush and the king is coming back, dog. The king is back. Hey, look, I'll I tell you what, um, our defense, really our de whole defensive line between Archery, between uh, Simmons, uh, we getting, we got Bud Adams over from uh, the Steelers uh, this year. And then we also have Harold Landry, who's, I, I think he has probably, what, 13 or 14 sacks himself. Um, us being able to have that four-man pass rush, of course, it helps out the secondary. Defense has been playing at a high level. Like I said, we're number two in the in rush defense. Uh, we're not really giving up a lot of points. I mean, last week we kind of had a little setback, which I think we needed, though. We needed, to, you know, to identify some things. That way we could correct it, get it going, you know, before the playoffs. And, and here we are. We're in the number one seed, and here comes Derrick Henry. You know, and I don't think a lot of teams want to see a healthy Derrick Henry who's – I mean, he's, he's fresh legs, you know. And so, I mean, everyone's been banged up, and here he is coming off an injury with fresh legs at 240-something pounds, and now you got to go tackle him at home, and the crowd will be – I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a, a, a crazy crowd. They'll, they'll get behind the guys. Bro, 17 straight weeks in the National Football League, and everybody's hurting. Now, that big brother's going to get free with fresh legs. Uh, let me just say this. DB's going to be making business decisions two for one. I'm telling you, bro. No question. No question about it. I mean, you got to think about it. It's already as bad. It's already bad that 
when the fourth quarter comes and he's still running hard, you don't want to tackle him. I'm sure those guys feel it. You see it. You see it all the time. Those guys don't want to tackle him in the fourth quarter. Now you got to think about it. Now they're, they're they've already been banged up. And now he comes back healthy. They're not going to want to tackle him in the first quarter. Hey, bro, Josh Norman. We've had Josh over here, and, and we did a tour of England together. Josh, a great dude, bro. Right. But let me tell you something. Ain't nobody wants to be posterized like Josh Norman. He, you don't want to be on his highlights, no. I'm just telling you. And, and, and you know what, though? I, I must respect to Josh. He's done, I mean, a tremendous job in his, his career. He's done great things in the league. He's not the only one that's, you know, that has gotten that treatment. <laughs> I mean, you got there's some guys out there that they know. You know, I mean, you look at Earl Thomas. I mean, what, two of the years ago in the playoffs, I mean, King breaks for one. They call him King Henry. He breaks for one. He pushes Earl all in the back. I mean, he turned them all around and everything. And, I mean, it's just, it's just who he is. Hey, now – you weren't you weren't a big DB, right? right. Five nine, right. two hundred pounds, right? Run like crazy, but you were never never shy about throwing it up in there. What would you do if you had to deal with that? Because you can you can say I'm gonna I'm gonna pull down the straight arm, or you're gonna go, but you ain't going low into those thighs, man. That might be the last thing you go low into. You, you, honestly, it's one of those things. Like I used to think about it even. I mean, he of course. Uh, he's bigger than Adrian Peterson. But Adrian ran with a nasty attitude, right? And I knew Adrian before, you know, the league or whatnot. So we got ready to play him one week. And I go up to him. I'm going, you know where I'm hitting you at. And I'm, going, <laughs> I'm going straight for your shins, you know what I mean? And he pulls his socks down. He shows me these shin pads. He goes, I know where y'all, what y'all are thinking. So especially you <laughs> he DBs. He wore like these little pads on his shin, you know, that would cover it up. And he knew, I mean, I mean, you got to think about it. Guys like that, it's kind of hard to tackle. You know, you got big thighs and you think about guys like him, Ricky Williams, you know, these guys with these huge thighs, hey, they can give you a concussion with, with a thigh. You know, I mean, it's it's just, that's just part of the game. And you can't hit them up high because they're still forms and they're, they're strong up top. So, I mean, as a smaller DB, you got to do what you got to do to bring them down. And sometimes, hey, it's it's the lower it's the lower lower part of the leg. All right, tell me, tell me, and I want you to to lay it out because so, we got Titan fans all over the place, and it's amazing, man. Like, I think they're feeling it because they're coming out the woodwork, man. People that never said they were Titan Titan fans now, nah, oh, we got all kind of light blue everywhere, right? Right. What was it like to play in Nashville? I love Nashville, uh, and uh, I know they, they get – I mean, recently a, a former player gave him a little – you know, he, he said some things about the crowd or whatnot. Crowd has always been uh, – I, I won't say that – you know, he – it was – I will say some truth to it. Like you said, they're coming out of the woodwork. I will say there's been some fans there that have always been there. There's, I mean, but there were some games where, you know, you would look and you would wonder, you know, about – you know, the crowd, of course, man, because there was, you know, you get guys, you get teams like Pittsburgh and they, they, I mean, they're traveling. But right now, you go in that stadium, you go in Nissan Stadium, there's not many other fans that they're trying to, they're, I mean, they're not even trying to give up their tickets to sell to the other fans because they want it to be loud. And I mean, they have every right to want it to be loud. I mean, you, they're the number one seed and um, the team's playing well. And, and you know how it is. I mean, if you're winning, they come. You know, we the same way we were in Hawaii. You know, we had the stands full, and they came. You know, when you're winning, the fans show up. 
And the fans have done a great job, you know, it, whether it's been home or away. All right, now, you hit on something that I wanted to talk about, and it's perfect. Um, as a player, as an athlete, this point in the season, you, you know, you're hanging in the balance a little bit. Are you going to be the number one seed? Or are you going to be the number two seed? How important is it to be the number one seed and get that bye week? It, it was, well, for, for this team, it was very important. Uh, for one, um, you, we're still trying to get a couple of guys healthy, I would say. Um, you know, down the stretch, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, uh, some of the linebackers were just, you know, they were coming off of injuries. Uh, and you wanted to get those guys all the way back healthy. You get the bye week. And not only that, you get one more week. One more extra week to get Derrick Henry back ready. I mean, you activate him last week. You practiced last week. You get him in here this week. You give him another week to, you know, maybe rehab, touch up, get his win, you know, uh, get his win back. And then he gets another week to practice. I mean, that 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 was huge. And I think it'll play a, you know, a, a factor in the, the in the run that they're, you know, they want to make to try to make it to the Super Bowl. How important is the home field advantage? Home field is definitely important. I mean, you didn't, we didn't want, or I would say, I as a fan, I didn't want them to have to go to Kansas City. Uh, I mean, of course, weather. You got to think about it. In Kansas City, it snows up there or any of those other uh, you know, places. It might snow a little bit. It gets cold in Nashville. I won't say it snows like it does in Kansas City, but also, you know, just the atmosphere, the crowd. You know, the crowd, you, you, you need the crowd to get behind you. And on, on those third downs, those crucial third downs when you're on defense and the crowd is behind you, that's very important, you know. So uh, they did what they had to do. And uh, hopefully, you know, that home field advantage, will uh, it, it'll work out for them. Give me, the, give me your take on this one as a player, right? You know, quarterback position, which is the most position, most important position on the field, I, I think nobody, everybody recognizes that. Right. But they do get way too much blame and they get way too much credit but uniquely what they do in the playoffs is what defines their legacy what defines who they how fans will look back on them right steve mcnair got to a super bowl right collins never got to a super bowl right now we're in the same situation you got a quarterback in tennessee who's done a lot of good things and they right. picked him up off the scrap heap and it's been a great marriage, but how important is it to him, in your opinion, to make a deep playoff run, to get to the Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl championship, to define his legacy? I think for him, it's uh, very important. Uh, you know, they've been right there. Uh, you know, they went to the AFC championship, had the lead versus Kansas City. Kansas City comes back, beats them, goes to the Super Bowl. Uh, we go in, you know, that was the same year that they knocked off the Ravens. You know, Ravens were number one seed. They go in and knock the Ravens off. Um, and then last year, you know, the Ravens come in, the Ravens beat them. You know, and so I think this year, uh, you, 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 I mean, you've got the number one seed. You've got the home field advantage. You've got your star, your star. I mean, you won 12 games. And, I mean, nine, and, and, you know, nine weeks of it, you didn't have your star running back. You get him back. You've added a weapon with Julio Jones. 
And now it's, I think, you know, it's set up to where your defense is playing better. It's set up to where, you know, like you said, it's, it's boom or bust. And of course, like I said, like you said, you get all the, you get all the praise and sometimes, you know, you, you know, it falls on you, but ultimately I think, you know, I mean, the team will go as he goes and the last couple of weeks he's been playing well, played very well. And so I hope that he can keep it going and I'm sure, you know, the guys will, you know, rally around him and hopefully they can get it done. Hey, uh, you convinced me now, uh, you think you can front me a couple yards? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go call my bookie. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, look. Hey look. I'm trying to. Hey look. I'm trying to put my money on him too, man. I'm rolling with him all the way. <laughs> Ryan Mouton, it is always, always great to see you, man. I'm glad you're doing good. It's good to get with you, and you got a future in this media stuff, man. I'm telling you now. Hey, hopefully so. Uh, you know, I love talking ball you want me on the show or anything like that I, I'm always willing to come well don't say don't don't say that too loud Michael 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 get you in every week <laughs> take care my brother all right thank you too it's interesting interesting to hear him talk about <laughs> tackling tackling Peterson right see Adrian, I'm gonna hit you at the shins, and then shit, he rolls down his socks, and you got shit pads on. <laughs> um, obviously, a, a rest week for uh, the Titans. A lot of love for Ryan there. Thanks, Ryan, for coming on. Shot and did Jeff? Uh, London Titan says, "Hey, hey, hey, Ryan." Ryan retweeting everything he sees here at the minute. Um, good time for a couple of questions, Jeff. If you're up for it, I'm. Uh, uh, let's go. That's why we're here, baby. Let's go. the The next one is is a wee bit longer, so so we'll get a couple of questions in here now. Uh, Sasquatch seventy nine, who is in London by the looks of it, saying he thinks David Cully deserves a chance. We we didn't really get a chance to talk about that too much, Jeff. That came out I think after we talked last night. Uh, Cully out of Houston after one year. Yeah, you know what? Um, somebody said, you know, like that ain't fair, and it ain't right. But you know what? If you want fair, you don't go into coaching. And you especially don't go into coaching in the pros. So there's nothing fair about this business. And David Culley impressed me more. You know, I, I've known who David Culley is for probably 20 years, right? But David Culley impressed me more by what he did with that one year with no roster and all this, all the adversity that he had to face. And then not only that, but when it does go against him, he handles it like a man, right? So I, I, got, I, I got big props for David Culley, right? Now, hopefully that'll translate into somebody else giving him a second chance, you know, and, uh, but David Culley did what David Culley was hired to do. And that's basically give, their personnel guy a chance to get his feet underneath them, evaluate the personnel that he has there. They're going to trade Watson. They're going to bring in there. You're going to see a completely different direction by the Texans. And he was, and, and anybody that thinks that he wasn't, he's been, he was a placeholder the whole time. And that's, you can say that's wrong, but I'm going to tell you what, if you said to 
any number of coaches in pro football that you could be an NFL head coach and you're going to have all those things go against you that David Culley had. And there's no guarantee that you're going to get a second year. Those, you know how many guys would step out of line? Probably nobody. That's how much those jobs mean to people. So all that noise that the media guys say that have never coached the down and don't know shit about it, don't pay attention to it, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, we've got two more interviews coming up. Uh, Mr. Gammon's coming on in a minute, Jeff. One more question before that. Uh, shut, down, shut down coverage. A few, a few comments now. Thank you, mate. Uh, how much will the freezing temperatures in Buffalo affect the Pats against the Bills? Uh, Mac Jones up for a uh, rookie of the year today, Jeff. He's one of the candidates. How about I saw the I saw the candidates, right? Did you realize that three of those guys were teammates in college at the University of Alabama? Alabama. And that only one of those guys, Parsons, did not play in the SEC. Now, last week I said the SEC was the best league in college football. And, you know, I heard from some Big Ten guys and Pac-12 guys said, oh, man, you're selling a short. I said, I'm not selling you short. I'm just saying that's where look at the look at that's where the players come from. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting that that Buffalo game. There's a couple things that we're going to point out that, again, when you really analyze the game. Right. And you watch the both games and you see what Buffalo did in the second game. Right. And everybody says, oh, they gave up 100 less yards rushing. And, you know, Leslie Frazier must have done or, you know, some incredible job. They didn't change a thing. What changed was they got on top and then they got on top by two scores. And all of a sudden, the stuff that New England did in the first game, they couldn't do anymore because of the score. So it's imperative for the Patriots. More important than the win, more important than the weather is that the that the Patriots defense doesn't get in a hole early, then it's, if that's the case, it's going to be tough for the Patriots. We'll get your game picks towards the end of the show. We, we've got a guest coming up now. You did mention Alabama there. Pat Sertain, not, not picked either. I'll I'll talk about that after. But going from one <laughs> AFC West player to, to another AFC West team, would you like to introduce your next guest? Yeah, I, the guy I'm going to introduce to you now uh, is a phenomenal story and a phenomenal guy. I was at uh, coaching in Kansas City in training camp in 2001, and I had an opportunity to work with him every day. Um, he's a phenomenal person, a great success story, a guy that anybody in any field should really pay attention to because what he did to make himself the best in the National Football League at his position is almost, you know, it's, an, it's like it's inspirational. He, there, I've met thousands and thousands of football players in my life and coached a I don't know. I can't even tell you how many. But this guy's one of the ones that made an, an incredible impact on me and still does to this day. His name is Kendall Gammon. He's from a Division II school called Peru State. And I'm going to let him tell you, tell you his story right here in this interview. Get your questions in, folks, on Twitter, and we will see you after the interview with Kendall Gammon. Aloha and welcome back. When he said, when I said that I was going to bring some NFL guys to the show, I, I'm bringing you a guy that 
frankly, um, I've been around thousands and thousands of football players and a lot of really great ones at every level, uh, all the way from college football to the National Football League. In 2001, I had the great good fortune of spending time in the Chiefs training camp working with the special teams. And while I was there, I got a chance to spend some time with one of the most impressive guys I've ever met in, in football. <laughs> I get a little emotional when I talk about him because he's got a message that I think everybody needs to hear, not just aspiring football players, but everybody. This is Kendall Gammon and Kendall, is a guy who I'm gonna just give you a quick thumbnail description, synopsis or whatever. Kendall played his college football at Pittsburgh State, which is a division two school in Kansas. And through, obviously, you know, if he wasn't talented, you, you, can't, you can't get to the level of the National Football League unless you have talent. But his single point obsession I guess is the only way I can describe it with being a great long snapper vaulted him from a division two athlete to the NFL combine and the number one ranked snapper coming out of the combine. He, he then went on and played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I met him when he was with the chiefs after his pro career, he spent 12 years, uh, as the, one of the voices of the Kansas City Chiefs in the radio world and is now assistant to the president back at Pittsburgh State. And uh, with, without any more words, I want to introduce you to Kendall Gammon. Welcome to the show, Kendall. Hey, Jeff, I appreciate you having me. Appreciate the kind words. And certainly I've got a great memory of that training camp. And, and you were actually, I mean, I was well into my career, but you were still instrumental in my career because you were willing to help me go over there and, and go through drills and do things. And it wasn't always the funnest things to, to throw things at me when I'm, when I'm, when I'm uh, snapping and blocking and whatever, but you were willing to do it all. And so I appreciate it. And I do remember the time. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I've, I'm going to send a young long snapper to you to this, yep. this off season to do some work with you. A kid named Gordon White, who was my long snapper in, in, uh, Hamilton last year and he's a really talented young guy and and I would would do those drills that we did with him yeah and you know he asked me one day he said where'd you where'd you get this stuff and I said well I got it from a guy named Kendall Gammon da, da, da. and I told him the stories of us going on with Straczynski and we go over on that other yeah. practice field and uh -huh. work together and uh you know I said you know what let me call him and see if you'd be willing to work with a young guy and I think that's going to be a phenomenal experience to, to come out to Kansas City and spend some time with you and and obviously you'll help him be better but Kendall talk about before you got into the NFL when yep. you were a college player and and I remember you relating these stories to me when when we we're in training camp with the Chiefs but exactly what you did and the vision that you had for yourself as a college athlete. Well, I appreciate you giving me the time. And by the way, I'm already in contact with the, the young uh, gentleman you talked about, and we're going to get together. But you know what? Um, I went to Pittsburgh State, Division Two, as you mentioned. We're the gorillas. Um, only only mascot, mascot there is that is the gorilla. So we're pretty, we're, we're only university. We're pretty uh, proud of that. Um, 
I was a division two player. I started three of my years. I redshirted. I was a backup my my uh, freshman year. Um, you know, I played offensive line. I ended up being an all American uh, my senior year. But you, know, you talk about the long snapping, and, and of course, if if it wasn't for the long snapping, I wouldn't have gotten it in the NFL. As I always joked about the fact. On my best day in the NFL, I might have been a below average offensive lineman, but I was the best long snapper always on the team and for for a period of time, at least in the NFL, considered a, one of the best, if not the best. So I'm very fortunate, but I think, uh, Jeff, I think a lot of people might be interested to know or surprised to know the fact uh, that I didn't grow up long snapping. That, um, I didn't grow up not wanting to long snap. I just never been asked to. It wasn't until my third year in college uh, that a coach saw me screwing around uh, because I was just curious how the ball rolled out of the hands and I was doing it off on the side. Coach saw me, realized I could do it better than anybody we had. And lo and behold, I became a long snapper. And I, mind you, I was an offensive lineman at the time. So offensive linemen we know are allergic to running. I wanted no part of it. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they said, no, we want you, you can do this. And so you know, I'm a team player. I was going to you know, give it a mile and I started doing it. And uh, in the spring bank game, I was snapping. And, and again, this is just, this is the first time I've only been snapping for a few weeks, but I snap in the spring game and I have a bad snap and it embarrassed the hell out of me. Uh, and I just vowed right then that I'd never do that again. And so that summer I went home and I practiced and I honed it and just kept getting better and better. And, and lo and behold, that's what ended up getting me into the NFL. And, you know, when I went to Pittsburgh State, maybe naively, but it never, I, my goal was to play in the NFL, just like many players, you know, they want to play a professional sport. And my goal was to play in the NFL. And it never occurred to me that I wouldn't get in the NFL. Now, maybe it was a little naive, but it's, it was my mindset. And I ended up finding a way to get in the NFL through the long snapping. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of points that we can illustrate. I know you want to talk some, but uh, the one thing that I think is very important that you can learn from that is sometimes we don't even know what abilities we have. We don't understand what we can do. And it, it takes somebody else looking outside the box from outside the box, looking at us to, to really identify what skills we have and what we can do to, to maybe going, going to be to make a life, which is what I did. I mean, you think about it, if that coach doesn't come and tell me that I need to long snap because I'm, I can do it better than anybody on the team. That never happens because I assure you, I was not going to volunteer to long snap. Uh, so it, it's kind of a crazy story, one that a lot of people just don't know. All right, now, I remember you saying to me, you're talking about the drills that you would do by yourself for mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours. And I sent a little teaser out today about having you on the show. And it was the little two minute video yep. of you talking about the dedication and taking the pieces of paper to use as targets and being out in a park and just for hours snapping. Yeah, I've, yeah I'll, I'll, uh, I'll summarize a little bit, but basically, you know, after my, after we won the national championship, my senior year, Jeff, um, I was fortunately uh, asked to go to the NFL combine in Indianapolis. I got that letter over the Christmas break. And so when I came back to school, I was scheduled to do my student teaching because I thought I was just going to teach and coach the rest of my life, which nothing wrong with that. And quite honestly, that's a very noble profession, one of the best. But um, I wanted to play in the NFL. I was going to have my chance. So I immediately changed my schedule, dropped down to 12 hours, got my secondary 
or got my minor in science, uh, delayed my student teaching, and I was going to do everything I could to to get ready for my chance to go to the NFL and show everybody uh, what I could do. And and fortunately, I I did that, and I was very successful. But again, if I didn't take that chance uh, and rearrange my schedule, and then even to take it a step further, you know, when people realized that uh, I was going to get to go to the combine. You know, a lot of people, they stepped up, they raised their hand, they said, hey, I'll catch snaps for you. Happy to do that. I was like, that's great. But the fact is, for, for me, if I'm going to practice, it was going to be a couple hours. And you know what? It's not the greatest view. And plus, it's not that much fun just kept catching a ball for two hours and throwing it back. So very few repeat offenders. And eventually, I ran out of people. And so I would simply go in, in I would go into the uh, basketball facility and against the bleachers i would just tape a square you know it was basically the size of going from a punter's knees to their shoulders which was our area that we were looking to snap to and i would snap the ball uh it, it hit the bleachers then i'd go chase it and i'd go get it, do it again and this was why school was in session and i know there were people walking by and they'd walk by then they'd come they'd probably come back and look at me and be like <laughs> that is a sad individual uh they must have thought i had no friends growing up and what was going on um but i tell that story for this which is you, you know for me my dream had a chance to come true if i rearranged everything and that's that question i pose to people when i talk which is what do you want so badly that you're willing to change everything in your life and snap a ball at the wall for hours? And that's what I did. And lo and behold, I came out of the combine as the number one snapper, as you alluded to earlier. And, and that got me an 11th round pick by the Kansas or by the Pittsburgh Steelers, 291st person taken. So, you know, right away feeling really very good about myself. But I had that chance and then I made the most of it, played 15 years in the NFL. Where did that come from? Where did that desire, that drive, that single-pointed focus, that's so rare. Where did he, Where do you think it came from, Kendall? You know what? Um, it came from my childhood, quite honestly. And it came from a childhood that I've learned after a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, therapy that wasn't great. You know, I was abused from age 10 to age 16, both physically and uh, emotionally, uh, on a daily basis, emotionally, just slightly uh, physically, you know, not every day, but um, sports was my way out. Sports was my way of getting attention or maybe even diverting attention from everything else that was going on in my life. And it was probably an escape for me. And it just drove me. And what I found out from talking to my therapist, which is, you know, you don't have the childhood you have, you probably don't play in the NFL because, you know, we hear this a lot about, you know, people that get into the NFL and, and they overcome circumstances, some like yourself, some much worse, some a little bit better, uh, but, but they're trying to prove something or they're trying to escape something. It's not always the case, but it is a lot, they say. And, and it was in my case. And it provided kind of a, a way out, um, not only just to the NFL, but but more so uh, when I was away from home, able to excel in sports, because I was able to excel in every sport that I was around. And it was a way for me to be accepted and feel a little bit better about, about myself, I guess. So you go to Pittsburgh as an yep. 11th round draft pick, and those are some pretty good Pittsburgh Steelers teams now. Yeah, they really were. Um, I was doing some radio earlier today and uh, talked with a few uh, former 
uh, Pittsburgh press uh, guys who were there actually when I was there and they, they talked about that and they just mentioned about when they came in, you know, when it was, uh, what it was, they, they came my last year for Super Bowl 30 and it was like, no, too soon because that was Super Bowl 30, we lost to the Dallas Cowboys. But uh, yeah, I was in the playoffs all four years there, played an AFC championship game twice, uh, was a winner in one of those and played in a Super Bowl. So we, we had some very successful times and you know, Pittsburgh is one of the great family-run organizations in the NFL. I'm lucky to be a part of another one in the, the Kansas City Chiefs, but uh, it was it was uh, some of the best times of my life. So when you show up in Latrobe for training camp and you're a kid from Pittsburgh State, the Gorillas, yeah. Yeah. and you're looking over there, and you're looking over there, and – was Cower the head coach at that time? Cower, yeah. Cower, you know, a funny story. You know, Cower had just been a defensive coordinator at Kansas City, but I didn't know that. As he came, he was the youngest head coach at the time in the NFL at age 34. He's up there. You know, I'd talk to him on the phone because they drafted me, but I, I hadn't paid attention to pictures and, or anything. And so we're in the first meeting, and a guy gets up talking, a young guy, kind of blonde hair and chiseled chin. And I'm, I'm just like, who is who's this guy talking to us and then, it, and then it dawned on me i'm like that's cower that that's the head coach and it was just it was amazing to me and and um yeah it was just uh kind of surreal for sure during that time when you're laying in your bed at night and you're you know because we know that training camp is a grind i mean it is and especially back in those days when yeah. it was longer and more physical and mm -hmm. you laying at, looking up at the ceiling in your bed, do you ever go, what the heck am I doing here? Why did I do this? Oh. Or was it, did you know all the time that you were going to make the team? Um, yes and no. It never occurred to me that I wouldn't make the team, but I was scared of not making the team each and every day. And I remember now I was an offensive lineman also. I was 280 pounds. They liked the fact that they thought I could be a backup uh, lineman and and be a long snapper because back then everybody wanted to save a, a roster spot. I'm very proud, and we can talk about it. I'm very proud that I, I think I helped usher in the age of a long snapper being not a luxury but a necessity because I came into the league, you only had two specialists. When I went out of the league, there was three. Every team has just a dedicated long snapper. But I was an offensive lineman as well, and I was playing center. And I remember literally the first day of training camp, I pull and because with Kansas or with Pittsburgh back then, they would pull the uh, center sometimes and lead a little bit. And I, I remember doing something and running into Greg Lloyd and, and I caught him pretty good <laughs> and he didn't like it. And he proceeded, I mean, proceeded to, be, to have a fight. I'm like, you know, what the hell? I, Greg Lloyd's the last person I want to have a fight with, number one. And then number two, we've got pads on. So this seems just absolutely useless. But I didn't do anything. He hit me in the couple of helmets, the helmet a couple times. And I really didn't fight back because I just thought it was ignorant. Plus, I was just like, what the heck is going on? But then I get back to the huddle and I got some of the alignment like, dude, you can't let him do that to you. And so I uh, pulled a little bit later again, and I just absolutely cleaned his clock. And he got up and he really went after me. And I went back after him a little bit, but not much because again, we got our damn pads on. What the hell does it matter? Um, but I remember thinking, what is going on here? This is not what I'm looking for. Um, but you know what? It, it, it's part of it. But you do lay, you do lay in your dorm bed or, or you do have a list of everybody on the team and you start crossing up like, okay, these guys are rummies. They're, they're not, they're, they're just filling spots. 
and you get down and, you know, at the time it was 53 men on the roster and, you know, I could get to like 65 and I'm like, okay, now they got some hard choices and you do. I mean, you play mind games. It, it's, it's terrible. And you know this, Jeff, it's terrible physically in terms of what you have to go through, uh, but it's nothing compared to what you have to go through mentally. Cause I always talk about the fact, you know, my physical skills, of snapping got me to the NFL, but it was my emotional skills to be able to handle the stress and, and everything that goes along with it uh, that kept me in the league and it got me that job. Because if you can't handle it mentally, uh, then you're not going to play in this league. Well, that's really, really well said because not only the information, the, the tremendous amount of information that you have to be able to process on a daily yeah. basis, but the pressure and the realization that every time you walk into the, after about the first couple of weeks, every time you walk into the, in, into the locker room, there's guys, this, you know, empty locker there or a new yeah. guy. In the, and oh. it's just a constant change. I've got a good, I've got a good story. We will fast forward a little bit, but uh, after our last game, we, we go in that day and they have some cuts to be made. And um I realized my my uh, my roommate Hisham Ishmael. He was a guard out of Florida. Uh, didn't make the team, and you know I didn't see him. And then I got, and we were we were rooming together at our temporary housing. And I get home from that first practice that day, and there's a six pack. Uh, there's a six pack of bottles that are empty, and just a note from him that says, "Hey, it's been real and such and such, and nice knowing you." I've never talked to him again in my life. I mean, it's wow. stuff like that. And, and it happens all the time. And it, it, it is what it is. I mean, uh, the NFL is very unforgiving. The, ol the only constant is change. That's for sure. Hey, now you get, how do you get to Kansas City? Um, okay, well, I, I spent four years uh, with the Steelers. And then the fifth year, I made the team. But their tight ends coach, well, actually, just in general, they, they still wanted a player who could, who, who, who could play another position and long snap, and they weren't sure that I could be that guy. Uh, I was close to it, but they didn't think so. So they cut me, and they brought in a tight end who could snap from New Orleans. Now, um, my former, and you'll know this guy, Bobby April, he was my special yeah, team coach. Yeah, I know B.A. real yeah. His last two years, uh, or my last two years with the Steelers, he had gone to New Orleans. So fifth year, I get cut. Um, they bring in, uh, they bring in a tight end long snapper from New Orleans who had been cut. Um, and so he takes my job. The minute Bobby realizes that I'm available uh, and the Steelers cut me, they sign me and they cut the guy that beat out the guy who took my job in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so, you know, that's who's on first, what's on second, and I don't know who's on third. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. And, and lo and behold, also, Coach Cower had never seen this guy snap before. He was just told that he could do it. Well, he could not. He, I think he snapped there for two games, and then um, they cut him, and they had long snapping problems that entire year. In fact, they lost a game very public uh, on a Sunday night when they were playing Jacksonville, bad snap. They didn't get the snap off. It's funny. I didn't watch the game that night, but the next day my phone was blown up with text messages asking me if I'd seen the game. I'm like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, you know, that's how fine a line it is. Now, you go – when I when I meet you in Kansas City, you are 
playing at towards the tail end of your career and you were actually they'd slimmed you down and if i remember correctly and i think i do they flirted with the idea of making you a backup tight end making you the third tight end i was okay so so jeff my uh, seventh year in the league because i spent four years with the saints my seventh year in the league was getting to a point to where teams didn't even want to risk getting the hands hurt of the long snapper because by this time, basically, every team had just a long snapper. And so I really wasn't getting many reps at the offensive line. And literally, I just figured, okay, surely I can cover better. Maybe I can play golf better too if I lose weight because um, <laughs> I have a love for that sport. So during the season, I, I went from my high, I had 310 points, uh, 310 pounds at one point. And during the season, literally, I exercised more and I ate differently. And I went from 310 to 275, and then 265 the next year. And then I was a free agent. The Chiefs' uh, first day of free agency called me and let me know that they wanted me to come in. And I ended up uh, coming there. And I lost another 10 or 15 over the next uh, year and played the last seven years of my career as a tight end and a backup uh, tight end, uh, like you say. So yeah, uh, you, you've got it correctly. And I always joke though, you know, I was a backup to Tony Gonzalez, Gonzalez, but the only thing we had in, in common was we were carbon-based forms of life because after that, <laughs> the DNA diverged greatly. I tell you what, I remember, now this is one of the stories I remember from that training camp. Tony was a holdout, right? Yeah. Because And he had flirted around with this idea he was going to go play basketball because he was a basketball player at Cal. Right. And I remember we were sitting, we were sitting in the lunchroom and Tony walked in the first day he reported to camp. And I remember looking at him and going, God, God shouldn't make one guy that perfect, right? That's because here he was, here he was, 6'6", six, six, chiseled, look like a movie star yeah. big smile mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean, then he went out on the field and was like maybe the best athlete pure athlete that we had yeah. on the football team hey um tell uh, tell our listeners and our viewers if you would because i think you have an appreciation for this um dick vermeil yeah what made him special relationships the relationships he formed both on the field and off uh, he wouldn't lie to you. You may not like what he was going to tell you, uh, but he wouldn't lie to you. And and that was more important as an NFL player, which is just to simply know where you stand with things. Uh, even if it's if it's not the greatest, at least you got a chance to figure out what you're going to do about it or if you have a chance to do anything about it. But, you know, in the off seasons, he would have different position groups over to his apartment and he and Carol would, would cook steaks and we'd have wine and, and we'd hoop it up, you know, late into the night or late early into the morning and just have a great time. And I, I just think that was great. You know, I always talk about in the NFL is a violent game and violent people don't grow up in Beverly Hills. They grow up in violent places with problems. And uh, oftentimes it's single family or a single parent uh, uh, households and, and, and guys that have had issues very much like myself or much worse. And he became that father figure or they became those parent figures uh, to many guys. I mean, I think you probably know, or if you didn't, you know now, I mean, Dante Hall looks at, uh, at, at uh, Coach Vermeil like a dad and, and many other guys do as, as well. And 
that's 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 to be emulated that's to be revered that's to be respected i think uh because um all this other stuff is important but life in general i think starts and ends with relationships that's what he believed and he did a, he did a great job of it yeah you know what and i'm i count myself as one of those guys hey yeah. um now you you've been around that chief organization for a long time you're a you're loyal alumnus you've done the radio for the chiefs do a pregame show for the chiefs give our listeners about a two minute dissertation if you will on where you think the chiefs are right now can they get back and win another super bowl well, I'll start with the last one. They can get back and win if they play the way they're capable and they do it for four quarters. Now, you know, this week with Pittsburgh, they could probably get away with only playing two and a half quarters. But once they go on after this game, it's going to get tougher and tougher. Uh, if they can get to playing the way they were uh, towards the end of that eight game win streak they had to really vault them up uh, into the, the AFC West championship after they were three and four at one point, um, then they've got a chance, which is to basically not turn the ball over, establish a little bit of a run game, or have a run threat at least, but also do what you do best, which is put the ball in Mahomes' hand, hands and give him a chance to make the throws. I think he has matured more than anybody could imagine this year in the fact that he's learned to take what the defense gives him. He got so adjusted and so used to, to throwing the big balls and doing so many different things. And, and you, they talk about the league, whether they caught up with them or not. Well, I mean, they were playing the cover two shell and things like that in the past also, but he was just able to do some things that teams had never seen before. And they were able to game plan for it a little bit and basically make the Chiefs, uh, you know, maybe shoot them themselves in the foot. And they did early in the season with the turnovers. Once they got rid of the turnovers, that really alleviated the offensive uh, side of things, I think. Defensively, it sounds like a cliche, uh, but they really weren't healthy and everybody playing together until probably game seven, eight, nine. And uh, Steve Spagnolo, uh, who I have a ton of respect for, uh, I think he's got a couple Super Bowl wins as a D coordinator, maybe with the Giants or somebody else, I forget who. But I mean, he kept saying that we were getting there and it was, it was when we were giving up all kinds of yards and the defense was one of the worst rated in the NFL. And you just thought, OK, this guy, I mean, he's he's delirious, but he really was spot on with what he was saying. And you watch the defense really, really evolve and start taking the ball away and start playing the run better. And I think a lot of that had to do with um, uh, Willie Gay getting back and, and you know, getting um, the pass rush there a little bit more. They were they were hurt up front. I think getting Chris um, uh, Chris uh, just lost his last Chris, name. Chris Jones. Yeah, thanks. I've been hitting the head too many times there, Jeff. Uh, Chris Jones getting him back to defensive tackle so he could kind of dominate like he had before, and, and really just playing as a unit week in week out without guys coming and going. And I, I think uh, once they started doing that, that's when they really started to fill their oats a little bit. And I do think if they play like that, if, if they play their B plus to A minus game, uh, they get to the Super Bowl for sure. And then they need to play an A game to beat what I would expect to be either the Bucks or the um, the Green Bay Packers in the final game. I personally think it'll be the Packers, but they they, they do have the, the, the players to do it. I think there's no doubt about that. Well, you heard it here from a guy who's been a gorilla. He's a gorilla. Been a stealer. He's been a saint. He's been a chief. 
But through it all, he's always been a great guy. Kendall Gammon, love you. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. And anybody that's any, curious about anything else, just go to KendallGammon.com or at Kendall Gammon for social media. But uh, like I say always, just simply make a difference. That's it, buddy. Thank you very much, Kendall. Hey, you bet. Take care. Don't make them better than that guy. That was that was a pretty good interview, wasn't it? That was pretty good. Yeah, I tell you what, and it was great to hear him talk about the Chiefs inside, you know, and and, and <laughs> relating the story about not knowing you're drafted in the eleventh round. You go to your first meeting, you don't even know who the head coach is <laughs> when he stands up to talk to the team. Who is this blonde guy with the big chin? It was really, really, really good, and, and I would encourage. I think Kendall said, just go, go check his website. All the information is on Jeffrey's social handles tonight. Go, go check Jeff's Twitter out. People are checking your Twitter out, Jeff. Uh, Stephen in the UK said Raiders are going to beat the Bengals, thirty-four to twenty, and he said RN4L. As a Broncos fan, I'm never saying what that means, but uh, Andrew D says Raiders as well. And uh, it's it's busy tonight, Jeff. There, there's there's a lot of people watching. See, this, this show. is this is Raider Nation. It's getting later, and they're starting to come out of the woodwork, right? Raider Nation <laughs> doesn't do their best business till after ten o'clock at night. We are going to get your game picks uh, after Jesse's 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 Apollo comes on, and I, I know uh, you're obviously great friends with Jesse, and that's a huge game on Sunday. Uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get a couple of comments in first. Uh, Owen Thomas, late. To the coffee tonight hi coach and tribe hey great and, to have uh, you with us Owen. and and uh you're never late man you just you know just you're fashionably late right <laughs> um fred flunk is saying that greg lloyd was a bad mother and I, I, i'll not presume what that next word is but uh, it's all good it's all hey good. fred greg lloyd <laughs> greg i can see <laughs> I had never heard that story about him and Greg Lloyd. But can you imagine the second time when you go whack Greg Lloyd and you're a backup offensive lineman and a rookie in training camp? Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet that was priceless. Um, Sean Club NFL is telling you that the Cowgirls aren't going to be the Niners. Uh, Wee Badger, 01 in the UK, is saying he, he thinks the Bengals, the Bills, the Bucks. The 49ers, Kansas City, and the Rams are going to win this weekend. Um, and Graham Hackney hopes that the 49ers are going to win as well. Uh, and it could be a, a rebirth of this rivalry. And it, it's going to be good. Tell you what, let's get your game picks and get some final questions in at the end. Do, do you want to bring in uh, your last guest? Maybe give him yeah, a little I, I bit want, of, of introduction? If you are a 49er fan, and it, I know the faithful are everywhere, and you know that there's other 49er fans. Stop right now. Call them and tell them that they got to get on this show and listen to this interview. Because this is, this is 49er royalty. This is a guy who snapped the ball to Joe Montana. He snapped the ball to Steve Young. He snapped the ball to Jeff Garcia. He, he has multiple Super Bowl rings. He's one of the greatest offensive lineman to ever play in the National Football League, the best center to ever play for the San Francisco 49ers. He is a chief in his native American Samoa, 
and he is a friend of mine and one of the most beautiful dudes I know. I'd like to bring you Jesse Sapolu. Hey, Aloha, and I got to tell you, tonight we have royalty in the house. And I'm talking about real royalty, not just NFL royalty. We have a chief in the house, <laughs> the Matai, Jesse Sapolo. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thank you, Coach. Thank you for having me on. Hey, now, are you in Honolulu doing the Polynesian Bowl right now? Yes. we. I just came in uh, two days ago. Uh, after the Niner game, and uh, yeah, we're getting ready to uh, to uh, do the uh, Polynesian Football Hall of Fame week. All right, now, just so fans understand, Jesse is a one of the charter members of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, which is located at the Polynesian Cultural Center on the North Shore of Oahu on uh, in Hawaii. And it is, if you ever get a chance to go, if you go on a trip to Hawaii and you're on Oahu, the island where Honolulu and the University of Hawaii are, make sure you take an afternoon and go over to the Polynesian Cultural Center, which is a fantastic opportunity to, to really get a window into the Polynesian culture. But take time and go to the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And again, just we just had another class go in, did we not? Uh, we're having that class go in this this year, uh, you know, the Falaniko Noga, yeah. uh, Mikey Patti, and uh, Malcolm Floyd were among some of the people that are going in this, this year. I tell you what, those are all great, great guys and, and really great ambassadors for not only the Polynesian culture, but, but also for Polynesian football players. Jess, uh, I want to go because I promised our listeners you, you were such a big hit the times we've had you on before, but I wanted to go into something really specific this time because we're just about ready to reignite what was once one of the most intense playoff rivalries in the history of the National Football League. And you played in a ton of these games as, as, a, as a member of the San Francisco 49ers, what it was like to go against those hated Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> well, you know, the 49ers uh, in 1980 ended the Cowboys, uh, so to speak, competitive reign with that catch that Dwight Clark uh, had in that NFC Championship game. And it launched the 49ers into their very first Super Bowl in history. And then that kind of broke the Cowboys and they kind of disappeared the rest of the decade. And then we became the dominant team and the team of the, you know, we won four Super Bowls in the 80s. And then we were dominating the 90s and the Cowboys out of nowhere with that draft that traded Herschel Walker to Minnesota. And with those picks, they picked Troy Aikman, you know, Emmett Smith, those kind of players. And then they already had Michael Irvin uh, as, a, as a first year guy. So uh, those teams uh, came out of nowhere and challenged us in the 90s. We weren't ready to give up our reign, and uh, and they they were the ones that that said, you know, uh, no, we're here now, and uh, uh, it it caused for a lot of uh, uh, intense competition. You know, the, the great thing about that rivalry, coach, is that everybody before the season started knew that it's going to come down to these two teams, and I know people say that all the time, 
And it never works out that way. But for three years in a row, it, it came true. And that's why it was such an intense rivalry. And uh, Jesse, those, those were basically de facto Super Bowls because you guys yes. were the two best teams in, the, in, the, in football. Yes. I mean, if you, if you look back at history, uh, the NFC won 16 straight Super Bowls. 16 wow. straight. <laughs> that's unheard of. And, and a lot of that is because of the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys played a big role in that. And uh, so when we beat the Rams this past Sunday, I, I, I really had no idea who we were going to play. And then when it popped up, the Dallas Cowboys, first thing in, in, uh, in my head is, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I, I, was I did a television show today, and I was trying to illustrate to the fans just how – incredible that rivalry was because over here in England if you're playing premiership soccer and you're at Liverpool you would never go ever transfer in, or take a free agency contract to go play at Man United and the Man United player would never go to Liverpool you guys had Charles Haley Deion Sanders Terrell Owens I mean I know there's other ones too, guys that would we, went back we, and we forth took, during that time and played on we one took team Kenny and Norton played from on them. the other team. Yeah, and, and and also we took Kenny Norton from them. So that's right, it, Kenny Norton. It, it, it was like a, it was like a, a you know a, an arms race. You know, hey, <laughs> we, <laughs> we we bought this weapon here. We're gonna take this one from you, kind of thing, and uh, you know. The, the funny thing about it, Coach, is we, we won the Super Bowl in 94 season, which was January 95. And I saw Deion Sanders in the parade, you know, all, everybody in San Francisco, you know, hailing Deion Sanders. Six months later, he was booed because he was in a <laughs> Dallas uniform. He was a cowboy. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. that's so amazing. You know, um, even the owners, it was a big deal too, correct? Yes, because, you know, Eddie DiBartolo was known as a flamboyant young owner uh, that kind of came in and changed the game, which upped the game of the older dogs like uh, uh, Art Modell, you know, the Roonies. Uh, those were the people. And then when, when Eddie came in and brought corporate ownership and started flaunting how he treated his players, you know, it, it got the old dogs thinking, you know, who is this young young owner, you know? And then when Jerry Jones came in with his, you know, charisma and 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 his ability to flaunt his money and and uh, you know the power is coming back to Texas kind of thing, so those two owners clashed and 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 it became uh, something that uh, it was good for the league, kind of you know comparable to the the Celtics and the Lakers, and uh, and it pushed the league to where it is now. So, you know, it, it's funny because decades later, decades later. The, the people are still talking about that rivalry. Well, you know, what's amazing to me is you, you talk about those two. The Bartolos, Midwestern mall guys, big, 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 big money guys. Jerry's an Arkansas oil man, makes mega, mega money. You guys got treated by the DeBartolos way different than other teams at that time got treated. Flew private jets, you know, <laughs> were treated, all of that stuff. And I think that I think Jerry was jealous of that, and then was gonna yeah. like all all those guys do. They're competitive. He's gonna say, "Well, I'll show you." 
Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, players talk. You know, some players have the same agents, you know, and and so we know how the other players from the teams from the other teams were treated. You know, we were the first team to to, to fly wide bodies, meaning you know three three uh, the, the big jets, and and we were the first team. If we play on Sunday, we leave on Friday. You know, most of the teams don't leave till Saturday. Uh, you know, those kind of things changed everybody's game, and you know when. When you have people that are, are Hall of Fame players on other teams and that want to come to the 49ers for minimum wage, you know, you know, for the low <laughs> for minimum wage, just to be just to experience that and become a champion, you know, everybody uh, knew that they needed to up their game. Jesse, as one of the all-time great 49ers, one of the guys that's you know, when you when you talk about synonymous with that game and with that team. When you watched this 49er team come back from down 17 in the second quarter to beat an arch rival in their own house, what's your biggest takeaway from that game? My biggest takeaway is I was so proud of the heart of our football team. Uh, when you are down 17-0 and it's a game that you got to have or your season's over, to see that fight, you know, uh, it, it could have been easily, they could have had that mindset, oh, let's just score 10 points and make it respectable. But to fight all the way back, because, you know, earlier in the year, we kind of physically beat up the Rams. And I knew uh, in, in my, with my experience as a former player, they were going to come out swinging. I knew that. And they probably said in their locker room, let's put these guys away because we don't want them in a tournament. And when that happened, I, I knew, Coach, that I expected that to happen. Now, the question is, did our team have the fortitude to withstand it, take that knockout punch, and punch back? And that's what I'm most proud about, is they not only punched back, they, they, finished, they finished the fight. And uh, uh, they, they deserve to be in the, the playoffs. You know, a lot, a lot of teams kind of depend on other teams uh, to, to have the luck go their way so that they can get into the tournament. And what, what makes me proud is the 49ers, you know, despite the fact that we other scenarios could have happened for us to get in, we went out and we won to get ourselves into the tournament. How much do you think, Jesse, and I know when you're, when you're playing quarterback in that organization, mm -hmm. you've got really, really, really big shadow over you. There's Joe Montana. There's Steve Young. There's Jeff Garcia. I mean, you've got Super Bowl champions galore at that position. How much did throwing for 300 and the touchdown passes and the way that Jimmy managed the game in the second half, how much do you think that's going to take some of the hatred away? Because you know, there, there's a ton of Jimmy G haters out there. You know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it because I think Jimmy G is good enough to take us with some support. You know, uh, if you look at the, the pick that he threw the first time, he couldn't, he couldn't step into the throw. They brought pressure. 
and just enough where Jimmy couldn't step into it by the time he released the ball and the ball sailed on him. Now, the, the second pick, you know, <clears throat> I, I know he wished he could get it back, but the guy hit him on the head. Right after that, he released that ball, and he wasn't called. Uh, I think you talk about the history of the quarterback position. Well, I had the best seat in the house because I snapped two, <laughs> two Hall of Famers, you know. And, and I think <clears throat> the fact that, you know, with social media today and, 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 and fans' opinions are heard out in the public, it's where you see all of this hate comes from because, you know, Coach, me and you, we look at, we watch the game from a different lens, you know. Uh, we watch it from a different lens. These people are looking at Jimmy Garoppolo. They want him to become like uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers or, or Tom Brady, you know. Well, you know, those guys don't grow on trees, right. you know. But I think Jimmy is good enough. Because if you look at it, we were down 17 to Green Bay, you know, and Jimmy brought us back and took the lead with 50 seconds left. And this is what I meant by needing help. He can take us to the promised land. We took the lead with 52 seconds, but, you know, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers made the play to beat us by one point. They were able to kick a field goal. We went to Tennessee. Yeah, he threw two picks, but he brought us back. And we tied the game at the end, but we, we couldn't finish it. We went to Cincinnati and beat them, you know. So uh, so that's I, – I think he's good enough to take it. I, I don't think he deserves the hate. And I think he's going to show that uh, this coming week against the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Now, when you were playing, you had a couple wide receivers, John Taylor on one side, Jerry Rice on the other side. They were pretty fair – country receivers but Debo Samuel could he have cracked your lineup you think absolutely he would have had a role you know uh, obviously it's different now with 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 uh, Kyle's creativity of the fly sweep that we use Debo on and now we use him straight as a tailback you know coming but that's his skill set because he's built so powerfully on on, on his thighs and, and his calves you know, he's built like a running back, even though he has a, a receiver. So that's Kyle Shanahan's creativity. We kind of compare him to John Taylor a little bit. You know, he's really? more stocky than John Taylor. Well, John Taylor used to bounce off tackles all the time. You know, I, I remember playing the Rams in in uh, Anaheim, Coach. We were down by 17 with six minutes to go. And John Taylor took two 90-yarders because he bounced off tackles. And we came back with six minutes to go and score 21 points because of John Taylor. Jerry Rice was more of a greyhound type of guy. Uh, John Taylor was our power guy. So if if you look at uh, Ayuk, you know, he's coming on. And then we got mm -hmm. this uh, new kid, uh, Jennings, that's doing uh, a great job. And uh, I think if we play our best, if, if you look at it, Tennessee is the number one seed on the AFC. We should have easily won that game or could have easily won that game. Uh, we beat Cincinnati in Cincinnati. We could have beaten Green Bay. We were the closest to beating Green Bay in, and add another loss to their, to their record, which they're the number one seed. So we have the capability with the innovation of Kyle Shanahan uh, and Jimmy. Jimmy is good enough to take us. If it, the, the thing with Jimmy, Coach, and you know this, he's a spot thrower. 
you know, every, everybody says the ball comes out fast. Well, it comes out fast because he throws to a spot. But if a guy slips, though, that, that could happen. If the receiver yeah. slips, it could be a pick, right? But that his ability to spot the ball in those last drives to bring us back is the reason why we're in the playoffs right now. You know, what was amazing to me, Jess, was, you know, um, when you think about 49er fans, you don't think about, you know, the Steelers travel like crazy. The Raiders travel well, all those. But I, in my mind, anyway, I had never thought about Niner fans that way. But then you watch the game and it sounded like that game <laughs> was in Palo Alto. I mean, I swear it sounded like the game was being played in Santa Clara. The fans were crazy. Were you surprised by the by the way the Niner Nation backed them in in uh, SoFi? Uh, no, because we played them in in the Coliseum two years ago when we went to the Super Bowl, and it was pretty much the same, you know. And uh, uh, the Niner fans traveled pretty well, it, it, you know, because we were good in the '80s and in the '90s. We traveled well now. At some point, we kind of lost that luster a little bit, uh, but it's coming back. Uh, but I was so proud of the faithfuls. You know, uh, uh, Stafford's wife, he, he, she's on YouTube saying she's never seen anything like it. You know, she, Is that she right? goes, yeah, she says, we're from Detroit. We're used to two other teams filling up our stadium, but I've <laughs> never seen anything like it. And yet the Rams are a pretty good team. So I'm very proud of our fan base. You know they travel. They're proud of the, they're proud of the team and how they perform. So, uh, well, if 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 we see a sea of red in Dallas, Texas, then you know the the, the faithfuls are are here. <laughs> the faithful are back. The Niners are back. Jesse Sapolo, always, always, always a pleasure to spend time with you. How how you got any good young players out there in the Polynesian Bowl? Yeah, you know we. Uh, Every year we've improved the talent pool. And uh, the, the, the great thing about it is we got guys in the NFL that played in the Polynesian Bowl, including Talanoa Hufanga, who's a, who's a safety for the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, we're proud of that. Uh, we got some guys that are pro bowlers now that played in the Polynesian Bowl. Believe Juju, it or not. Juju played in that game, did he not? Yep. Juju played in this game. Uh, uh, in fact, he's coming to us coming, you know, because there's uh, well, Juju may not come if the Pittsburgh goes on, but Tua will be here. So uh, we're proud of the present stars and their ability to come here and, and support our event. And then, of course, the Polynesian Bowl players are the future. And then uh, we're here to honor, to honor the legends that you you and even I grew up watching and, and uh, played with. You know, Jess, please pass on uh, my aloha to everybody back there and, and everybody one there's one thing missing in my coaching career one mm -hmm. thing and that's to coach in a polynesian bowl so one day before before i fall over i gotta get to, i gotta be able to coach in a polynesian bowl because that to me would be the highest honor you could ever achieve and i appreciate that my brother uh the, the, all the all the things that you've done for our community you know you're in whenever you're available to coach. So, <laughs> All right, my brother. You. Take care. Okay. Right. Thank you, coach. God Bye. bless, man. Bye. All right.
Jesse Sapolu. It sounds like the Niner Nation is hot, boy. And I'm talking about hot. You know, did you see? I just threw it out there and I said, you know, with the with the Super Bowl challenge, just threw it out there and you know, I would retweet whatever your pick was. I it was a ton of Niner fans, a ton of Titan fans. But there was it was good to see there was also Raider and Bengal love out there. Yes, sir. I mean, look, there's I've actually been surprised from sitting like look, I, I obviously use Twitter all the time, like yourself. Seeing the Raider fans, not just the Bengals fans, but so many 49ers fans this week just coming out of nowhere. So I, I'm i really intrigued to see what happens. I, I, I just, just what happens this weekend. I really enjoyed that chat, just listening to you and Jesse. And uh, obviously, just great to listen to ahead of this, uh, just ahead of this weekend. I, I want to get your picks before we go and get some questions. Do you want to give me your picks? And just very quickly, if I go through the games, uh, the very first game tomorrow, Jeff. <clears throat> is the uh, the Bengals against the Raiders? Now you got to take your hat off here. I, I know you're going to be on Sky, right? But uh, All right, you got? now I'm going to say this, and I'm gonna, I want to be perfectly clear. My heart is 100% Raiders, <laughs> but I have been told by Raider Nation that if I pick the Raiders to win one more time that I will forever lose my membership card to the Raider Nation, okay? So I have to pick Cincinnati, but everybody in Raider Nation knows where my heart is. I didn't know that they had a, a membership card. Is that, is, is that because they're in Vegas now, or, 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 or was that just very rude, or was it? Well, it, no, you get it. You get it. You, see, as a Bronco guy, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know this because you guys don't have anything like this, but we have a membership card, and then we also have a, a secret handshake and a tattoo that you have to show at the door to get into the club. So you're going to go Bengals, but I know you want the Raiders to win. Bills, Patriots, games in Buffalo. Matt going to be Jones. a better game. I, you know what? This game is going to be really interesting to me. This is how I see it. And I'm going to illustrate it with some facts, not speculation or analytics, but some facts from the two games that I dug up over the course of this week. It's phenomenal when you look at what the Patriots did to win the game. And everybody talks about the weather. Yeah, the weather was a factor. But what they did schematically to the Bills was genius. And the Bills never reacted mm. because the Patriots did it again in the second game and had as much success. But because they got behind, they couldn't they couldn't sustain the, the personnel group that they wanted to use. And I'll show this all on the on, on the telestrator tomorrow night. But um, if Buffalo gets on top by 10 points or two scores, it's going to be really tough for New England. But if New England can keep it close within a score, then they have a great chance, right? Now, what's interesting to me about Buffalo is you look at the Bills and, you know, every Diggs is going to get his, right? I mean, he's legit. They've got good tight ends. Emmanuel's there. Beasley's there. Um, they've got enough weapons. The question will be: Will Josh Allen be able to? Will will the will he will the Patriots rather be able to keep Josh Allen from hurting him with his legs? 
Because if they make him make throws, right, and it sounds crazy to say this about a quarterback that's got as many touchdown passes as he does, but they got to keep him in the pocket and they can't. Where he where he killed them in the second game was where it was just an athlete against an athlete, right? And he just was better than anybody that the Patriots had, whether it was on a you know, a third down conversion running with the ball or whether it was getting out of the pocket and making a play out of the pocket. He's the one that they're going to have to do a great job with. Now, historically, the Patriots have always done really well against these kind of quarterbacks because they do a great job of understanding being coordinated in their pass rush. But here's the problem for them, as I see it. They play so much man-to-man. Right. And they're going to double digs because they're not going to give digs 10 catches. But when you double digs, you take away anybody that's free, your free player in man coverage that's low. And now the quarterback has nobody on him if he gets out of the pocket. And that could be a recipe for disaster. You take him Buffalo then? Yeah. I, 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 I swear, I'm going to take the Patriots. Oh, right, I've got I've got four minutes. You know I have to bounce because I'm chatting to somebody, but I've got four minutes. Bucks, Bucks, Eagles. Who you got? Uh, I'm gonna take Bucks. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the first game on Sunday. Obviously, Jeff's on the sky. Are you on tomorrow night late as well, Jeff? Are you gonna be on at four in the morning? I'm gonna be on until the last ball is downed. I'm gonna be on the TV. Uh, okay. Here we go. 49ers, Cowboys. Taking the 49ers, I can't go against my buddy Jesse. I think the Cowboys are the Cowboys could win the Super Bowl, but they got to get through this one. If I'm uh, all credit, if the 49ers win Sunday, that, that would be a huge, huge win. For them. If the Cowboys go one and done, oof, there's going to be so many ramifications there. Uh, Big Ben potentially his last game going to Arrowhead. Couple of things here: Who do you think wins? And if you think the Chiefs win because they're the favorites or whatever. Do you think they covered the spread? Because like they're like minus fifteen or something. It's, it's nuts. Like the I, I would crazy. stay away in the playoffs. I'd stay away from any spread over ten points, no matter who was playing, right? Because it's playoff football. Um, mm. You know, I think the Steelers proud organization. You know, and they're going to do everything. You're see, they're really playing with house money now, right? And they all want to see Ben get one more week and one more week and one more week. So. You know, that kind of motivation inside your locker room can be magic sometimes. Now, I don't think it's going to be enough for him to win the game, but I think it's going to be a good game. I hope so, man, because that's the late game on Sunday night. I hope I hope you're going to be there. I hope you're not transferring to this. I hope you're going to be there to, to the last kick. If you're not, don't worry. It's all good. What do you think? I'm going to go over to the, you think I'm going to go over to the BBC at the last minute? No way. No, but I mean, like, you you, you might transfer to NBC. <laughs> then, then you guys get up the road and, and get the cup of tea and sit and watch it. Um, very, very quickly here before we go. Uh, Rams-Cardinals, Monday night. That game's in L.A., obviously L.A. hosting the Super Bowl. The Cardinals ran away with the first few weeks of the season. The Rams are financially all in. It's the hell of a game Monday night, yeah. Jesus, I'm gonna take the Rams because the 49. Excuse me, the the Cardinals too inconsistent over the last half of the season. Fred Flunk not happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Owen Thomas said need to hook up on those blueberry peaking uh, peaking muffins, coach. Uh, also, just a few things here yet before we go. There's a few people. Uh, James Kelly, I think he works at Sky. He sent Packers to win it all, Jeff. Uh, and Aaron Atkinson in the UK, Bengals, 49ers, Bucks, Chiefs, Bills, Cardinals. Uh, your Twitter's going crazy. I, I know you'll reply to each and every person that's tweeted you, Jeff, but uh, fantastic shows. Now, you've had nearly 4,000 people have watched this already. 
just live and uh, some great guests and uh, it, it's been good fun well spread the word because it's only going to get better through the playoffs michael it's always awesome and you know what i heard that the nfl iron ireland's got something going on this weekend tonight yeah, apparently we're uh, apparently you're coming on our show at 10 o'clock you're kicking the show off at 10 o'clock irish nfl show yeah well shit, we better get over there excuse my language <laughs> <laughs> i'll see you in arman all right brother